This is the No One Asked podcast. I'm Jenny. I'm happy you're here. Who are you? And I'm Abby. I'm Abby. I'm Abby. I'm Abby. <laughs> Hello. Happy Hello. Halloween. It's spooky season. Ooh. It oh, is. It's episode. Halloween week. What do we have, Abs? We are going to be talking about witches and witchcraft. Actually, it's a historical, it's a historical episode. Because we're going to be talking about some women who've been persecuted um, and killed because others claimed they, they were witches. Yeah. So this is the first episode of many. We've discussed the format in different ways. We're, we're going through trial and error. We're figuring this out as we go along and also through your feedback. Thank you so much for that, by the way. Keep it coming. Um. The, the idea would be that once a month we're going to look at women who have been accused of anything from craziness, hysterics, uh, irrational behavior, um, losing their mind to full-blown mental illness in history right up as far as today, um, and telling a fully comprehensive account of, of the story and what went on and allowing you to make your mind up on what you think might have happened. Is it that these women lost their mind or became hysterical or became crazy? Or is it that maybe perhaps they just got smart and they got powerful and they got angry um, in the same way as any human being would or should? And we'll leave it over to you on on making those decisions. So today to kick us off, because this is the first one and it falls in spooky season. Uh, we're going to go straight on with witches, which is just mind-blowing. The, the the rabbit hole you can fall down on figuring that out. But Abs has done a lot more research, so you're going to kick us off. Go. Yeah. Woo! Jen, did you know that the modern-day um, like image, the modern-day Western image of a witch, like with the hand and the broomstick and the cauldron, um, comes from alewives. Do you know what alewives are? No. Alewives. So alewives, and this was like, this is coming back to like started me at medieval times when the quality of drinking water was really bad. Um, women would brew very weak beer um, in order to basically make the water safe for drinking. Um <clears throat> So, in so, other words, sorry, they would drink beer instead of water. They would drink beer instead of water. Absolutely, yes. Right, because, because the fermentation made it safer than the bacteria. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. There was a lot of waterborne diseases around at the time and everything. So this was like, it was critical. So you'd okay. have um, <clears throat> these women who would brew beer. They were mm-hmm. called alewives. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, like, in the UK, um there were there were things that they would do that would identify them as alewives. So, um, for example, they would they would literally put a broomstick outside of the door uh, of their house um, to let people know that they were selling the beer at the marketplace. They would wear um, slightly sort of pointed hats to again to distinguish themselves so that people would see them and know that that's the beer seller. Um, they would brew the beer in cauldrons. And they would often keep cats to keep the mice at bay, right? 
because um, <clears throat> mice would come in, they would get rid of the barley and the hops, and but you know, eat through the supplies. So these were these were kind of these are the characteristics that we typically associate with like the the image of witches that exists in uh, popular culture. When actually and all they were doing was making the beer. They were making the beer exactly, and so <clears throat> you know this was like an industry that was typically typically reserved for women until it became profitable. And then as soon as it became profitable and it started growing and there was opportunity in it, then the men pushed out the women and took over the industry. So then obviously... Wow, so essentially there wasn't really... Are we saying here that there wasn't really pubs or there wasn't beer? They were doing this for safety, for to be able to, to hydrate. Yes, and, and then practiced for a long time. Okay. And then they discovered that drinking this ale was something more and more people wanted to do or or that they could make money from. And the men essentially stepped into their ale wives and was like, out of the way, love, I'll, I'll take it from here. I'm taking over the business. Exactly. And so then women were characterized as basically um, they were demonized. Right. Hence, the modern Which image is- of the witch. Yeah. Going back to the history of witchcraft, you know, this spans back many, many, many centuries. And possibly one of the most well-known uh, witch trials happened in Salem, Massachusetts in the mid-late uh, 17th century. And this has been characterized a lot in, in film and in books. I think a lot of people know about the Salem witch trials or know a little bit about it. I think they have a lot of but people it, have heard of it, but probably don't really know very much about it. Yeah, so we're going to go into that. Um, hey, hey. But they didn't actually start, the, the witch trials didn't start in, uh, in America. They started in Europe and they were really, really virulent through like mid 15th century all the way until the mid 18th century. Mm-hmm. Um, and they happened in like massive waves across Europe. And it's estimated that during this time, between 35,000 and 50,000 mostly women, men as well, but mostly women were executed um, on grounds of witchcraft. Wow. So then, like, what what is witchcraft and yeah. what makes a woman a witch? And this is where it's really funny, right, because across these accounts, there are very little, uh, there's very little consistency. Yeah. Um, people basically accuse of witchcraft by their neighbour and the accusations could be totally insane it can vary from like basically imagine right you have like an argument with your neighbor over i don't know a sound complaint or something you're like yeah neighbors like playing the electric guitar at 11 o'clock at night um if you're getting frustrated with your neighbor over anything you can go to the local peacekeeper or you know your magistrate or something and say look you know my neighbor they're a witch they bewitched my kids they made my kids sick they cursed me. They looked at me angrily. And basically, these were the kinds of accusations that people would make, which wow. would then lead to women going on trial for witchcraft. So, which means that in those days, it was kind of almost like a race to who was going to shout witch first, right? Yes. Like, there's an awful lot of satire kind of um, comedies that have come up afterwards. One in particular that I really liked, which was literally called Witch Hunt. And it is kind of that the stupidity of 
what it took for somebody to point and scream which which was that bonkers that they could make a comedy out of it but it was true it was it was as you say I don't like you so or something that you've done or you're not doing what I want and so I'm going to come up with some kind of very vague simplistic story and call you a witch and that's it then you're 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 tortured literally yeah absolutely 100% and bear in mind like this you know these were happening during times where there were like there were religious wars yes um, and there was uh there was poverty and there was like waves of widespread disease so there's a lot of unrest and a lot of these factors were used to to basically pin blame on women you know she made my child sick she gave my kid the plague she is wow. the reason that wow. um our crops have failed um, so basically, this was all happening in Europe on quite a big scale. And then in England, so this was sort of leading up to the Salem witch trials. In England, in the mid-17th century, there was this lovely guy called William Hopkins who dubbed himself the Witch Finder General. Sorry, who dubbed himself? He did. He gave himself the name. He was a self-proclaimed Witch Finder General. So, so what happens? Did you just like wake wake up one day and walk into like whatever the the town hall and say I'm going to hunt witches? Like what? Yeah, well, that's a good question, right? He was he was an opportunistic, and this was happening during the time. Of You're damn straight, he was. <laughs> so the Puritans were like, you know, the Puritans were rising, would eventually take over, and there was a lot of uh, like religious unre- unrest. Um, Puritans were like a subset of the Protestants and right. they they were arguing that the Church of England had too many similarities to the Catholic Church and they needed oh, right. practices Can't and they needed to be more true to the Bible and hence the name the Puritans. Sorry, um, so hang on a sec. There's Catholic Church, there's Protestant Church and then there's pure, pure what are they? Puritans. The Puritans were, were a subset of the Protestants. But just like a, a like um. A stricter version, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way of characterising it. Okay, gotcha. So this guy, um, Matthew Hopkins, the Puritan witch finder general, was basically responsible for about the deaths of about 300 uh, women. Right, He literally went around um, East Anglia, mostly. So this all happened in um, a city called Bury St Edmunds in Suffolk mm. and around there. And he went around and he convicted a load of women, basically convicted them of witchcraft and led to their deaths. And the grounds on which women were convicted are just totally insane. Like It could be anything, which we'll go into in a minute. But this guy ended up writing this book called The Discovery of Witches, which was then kind of handed around everywhere for other. Oh, like a, like a manual to try and hunt them down. Exactly. Oh, wow. Exactly that. How to spot a witch. And you've got (laughs) a load of witch witch hunting for dummies. Witch hunting for dummies. Witch hunting 101. Oh, my word. Is your neighbor a witch? Here's how to prove it. So I've got the trial tests that they they did. So, So here's how to prove it in seven easy tests. 
Number one, the one that I think is most commonly known, and that's the swimming test. So women accused of witchcraft would be tied to, often tied to a wooden chair or a stool, and then thrown into Mm -hmm. a lake or a large body of water. And if they sunk, they weren't a witch. They were innocent. But if they floated, they were a witch. And the reason they said that if they floated, they were a witch is because if a woman were baptised, but then were converted by the devil, she would repel water. So in other words, like, walk on waterland. Yes. The, the important thing to note here is that sometimes, like you say, they were tied to chairs. And more often than not, they were on chairs. And it's the most common image that we have of like a woman kind of tipped over into water. Um, sometimes they weren't. But but mo- most importantly, only sometimes were these women roped. In other words, they fell in and they drowned. So one way or another, that woman was going to die, which is kind of a good way to kick this off, isn't it, really? Because a lot of these tests, they, they didn't hold an awful lot of hope for the the accused, let's say. The, the, the concept of innocent until proven guilty just did not exist. And mm. the, the uh, testing for how to prove a witch was guilty was kind of um, a lose-lose. In, yeah. in all the ways it was it was sort of so vague and like you'll float and if you float you're a witch so we're gonna burn you or kill you uh which obviously a human being is not gonna do so instead you're gonna fall into the water and you're gonna drown because we've forgotten to get figure out any way of getting you out <laughs> you know like so yeah. bye it's true i mean once you were accused of witchcraft chances are you would be found guilty the the system trial and conviction in these cases was just totally ridiculous it was all based on like testimonies that were insane and inconsistent 100 percent. so the next one abby we have a podcast you and i are are pretty good with uh, having chats but as most people have gathered if they've listened to previous episodes so far um getting tongue-tied is something that i'm incredibly skilled at Making up my own words also is something that I I tend to do. Sometimes I chuck in an extra syllable just because I feel like it. Uh, If I had done that in the next test, which was the prayer test, I would be deemed a witch. The witch, the accused witch, would have to say the Lord's Prayer without stuttering, without pausing, without forgetting or mumbling or muttering or confusing any of the words. Now, if you asked me to say the Lord's Prayer now, <laughs> even if I knew all the words to it, I get pretty stuck. I'm trying to remember, we used to have it drilled into us in school and all that's going through my head right now is Inanimanaharagas on Vicogas on Spirit Nave, Amen. And that's how you used to bless yourself in Irish. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Because you know the way you make sounds to things like... Um, so that was the next test was the prayer test apologies if you can hear my dog in the background she's having a meltdown the next one was a touch test and a touch test was the idea of okay so if they had people in the village that were taking fits or um were restless or insomniac or if they were having any form of psychosis, if they were having any form of uh, depression, in other words, couldn't get out of the bed and were bound to the bed, um, it was it was suggested that there was a witch somewhere in the village that was doing this to that 
adult or child. And the touch test was where they, if, if someone was in fit, they would bring the accused witch in and make them lay hands on the person having a fit. And if the fit ended, then it meant they were a witch. And the reason behind that was that if the devil was the one that was causing the fit, then as soon as the witch would touch as the, 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 devil, the devil would make contact with his witch and would stop. Now, I'm not a doctor. I, I'm no expert in this stuff. But I'm pretty sure that, first of all, most fits don't last that long. So you're, you're, you're kind of setting someone up to be there when it ends anyway. And the second thing is, depending on what the fit is, if you're going down a route of, of someone fitting because they're upset, which is also documented, where they weren't really fitting at all or having a fit, or when someone's possessed, uh, that could be that they're just upset, that they're yeah. hysterically crying, and it's suggested that they're then possessed. Like, I'm possessed at least once a month, you know? I'm possessed at least I, once a week. I will... <laughs> I will howl and cry and let it out. And that would mean that I was possessed. Now, Abby, if you were accused of being a witch and you were the reason why I was possessed, which we all know that way back in the day, had I been howling, it obviously would have been your fault. So you would have been brought into the room to just like touch my arm and see if I would stop crying when you did. Would that not make someone... Or or just a load of randomers walking into your room and touching you. Of course, no, I'd I mean, like. It depends on whether if you were actually having a seizure, then I guess no, it wouldn't. But I think even when it wasn't, there were so many other tests that they would take that if you passed one, doesn't mean you're out of the woods. No, exactly. So if you were if you were having a seizure. No one's going to stop you if they put their hands on you. But that seizure, the chances are, again, not medical expert, it's not going to last that long. So you're, you're by the time you go and get someone and bring them in, if the seizures stop by the time they put their hands on them, oh, witch. So it, it just, like you say, and if it, if it didn't happen that way, they would go on to the next test. So again, as we get to number four, we're, pre- we're starting to notice the pattern that there is a lose-lose situation here. Next one, my favorite, witch cakes. Have you heard of witch cakes? No. What are witch cakes? Okay, so a witch cake was a supernatural dessert. Okay. And so (sighs) that was used to identify suspected evildoers. And what they did was they took, so again, going back to there's a victim in the town. There's there's generally always a victim. And so like you were saying, if your neighbor is the one that's annoying you, you'd more often than not go along and say, my husband's lost his mind, my daughter's lost their mind, my and it's because of him, her. That witch is then the accused and the victim is the child or whatever else. So they would take a sample of the victim's urine, they'd mix it with rye meal and ashes and bake it into a cake. Ooh. And then they would give it to the accused familiars so that was their animals right in the hopes that this would make the animal speak the animal would speak about its owner being a witch now the reason why this one is my favorite is because 
They were trying to figure out and prove that a witch was a witch by casting a spell on the witch's animal. (laughs) They were performing magic to prove that the other person was performing magic. Huh? That's my favorite. What was it expected that the... um that it was a spell. Say that they would confess. That they to... would confess because they didn't want to eat any more of the cake. <laughs> Were they like, you know, this this cake's a pile of piss. That it, <laughs> and that and that the like an animal, cat or a dog, as you said, there was a lot of cats around. So the cats that lived in that house, street cats everywhere, and and so some of them would get fed by these people. My God, they fed animals how very dare they they must be witches so say for example my cat would be given this concoction of of human piss and rye meal and ashes which i can only assume is the ashes from a fire baked and then given to my cat so that my cat might actually fall under a spell and say it's her she's definitely a witch (laughs) next one is number five witch marks which witch marks so the devil would leave marks on the female body to prove that it was a witch. Now, those marks were um, things like a third nipple. This third nipple was to feed the familiars, which we've already established earlier, was their their animals. I've got a question on that one. Uh, and it's mostly, why? why? Why do I need a third nipple? to feed a cat if I was that way inclined which I have so many more questions about because being a witch is the least of my worries why do I need a third nipple to feed my cat can I not just feed it off one of the two secondly would it not make more sense to check if the witch was lactating and didn't have children to figure out if they were feeding (laughs) animals from their breasts and a third nipple by the way, and this is where this shit gets real funny. A third nipple could be a birthmark or a mark that resembled a nipple, like perhaps even a blemish. But if they determined it a third nipple, that's what it was. Now then we widen the search because then we strip naked and we strip which naked to look for any marks that and often the devil shaves all the body hair off. Of the oh yeah, well you'd need that because there was an awful lot of fuzz going on in those days. They didn't have laser. Obviously joking. So they they would um they would look for these marks and they were anything from tattoos to pimples to moles to freckles. Did women have a lot of tattoos in like the seventeenth century? Well they would have they would have used the same as like the kind of prison style thing where they basically just used needles and ink like they would have been quite dangerous to be fair did this ha- but, did this um, exist yeah like genuinely i have yeah. no idea of the history of this oh, yeah of so there were tattoos predating these times all across the world absolutely yeah absolutely because it, it came from tribal practices and yeah like that, so but we're talking here about anything from a spot mm-hmm. to a freckle to a mole and yeah, that would I decide would for sure have been branded a witch because I'm covered in moles. You and me both. Be, forget about the the sun check test that you need to do every year. It would be a <laughs> you're a witch. Witch, uh, yeah. Imagine dermatologist. It sort of sums up these whole like 
the motivation behind these witch hunts. But if a woman was ill-tempered or disagreeable, disagreeable in inverted commas, um, to her husband, then she could uh, she could be tried for witchcraft. So basically, once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you got pissed off with your other half, you were a witch. I if if you have gotten this far in this podcast and you still don't believe that you're a witch, please turn it off now. We cannot help you. <laughs> there is no one that wouldn't fall into this category if accused. So the next one is number six. It is pricking and scratch tests. Have you heard of these? Mm, apps? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. So basically now we've gone through the five other ways, which were fairly um, vast and vague. And so if they got, for whatever reason, got to this stage and were like, we still can't find a reason, they would they would turn to the pricking and scratching tests. And that was essentially where, because they couldn't find marks, the witch marks, they would then prove it by saying, the idea was that a witch could not be marked and wouldn't bleed if pricked or scratched. And so once again, a beautiful opportunistic uh, moment for bullshit artists. They became well-paid professional prickers, which I wonder if this is where the term prick comes from. Because these guys, mostly, would come in and they realize now in, his, in, in, in looking back through records that they basically used a double ended needle. One end was sharp and the other end was dulled. Yeah. And they would prick away at my skin and then they would find a spot that they'd use the dulled end. And because I wouldn't bleed and I wouldn't scratch, I was then deemed a witch. So, yeah. but they were essentially stabbing these women with needles. Yeah. to try and prove that they didn't bleed. And when they did, obviously, repeatedly, they would try and move on to the next one or get this professional pricker in. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that that's where the term prick came from. Last one, incantations, also known as charging. And this test basically involved forcing the accused witch to verbally order the devil to let the possessed victim come out of their fit or trance. So in other words, they'd stand in front of them and say, demon be gone. Other people would also utter the words as a act of control. And then the judges would gauge whether the statements had any effect on the condition, right? So there's one here, a famous one in the 16th century, in the trial of Alice Samuel and her husband and daughter, they were accused of bewitching five girls from the wealthy Thockmorton family. During proceedings, judges forced the Samuels to demand that the devil release the girls from their spell by stating, I am a witch, so I charge the devil to let Mistress Throckmorton come out of her fit at this present moment. When the possessed girls immediately recovered, the Samuels were found guilty and hanged as witches. Yeah, basically, you've got those seven tests, 
which are pretty difficult to uh to pass to be honest and even if you do it's sort of so vague that it's like what is a pass or a fail it's not definite but the the main thing that stands out is that idea that everything in here it stands against the accused because the victim could fake any single thing. So they've got these prickers that are coming in that have dulled needles. Oh, look, she doesn't scratch or bleed. You've got the situation where you've got incantations where they have to shout, your fit will end. The touch test where they have to lay hands on you so your fit will end. All of this is very easily faked by somebody who wants to to send someone else down or essentially have someone killed for being a witch and the the characteristics or the the behaviors that a witch became a witch under so wide varied that you just kind of go right okay so you just didn't like her or you didn't like what she did and therefore you cried witch she went through these these tests that were never ever going to be anything but a fail and you set her up in every way that you could that's it done you're you're dead it wasn't a fair trial (laughs) to summarize and then we get on to the same witch trials because basically what happened is this book ended up um in the u.s by like the early settlers the the colonies in the late 17th century like right towards the end there were a number of trials that resulted in 30 something women being killed i think it was in the famous Salem witch trials um and again this book was being used during these trials in Salem Massachusetts although the numbers are smaller prior to that in the rest of Europe I did find some interesting stories um about some of the the women from the Salem witch trials obviously there aren't a huge amount of records records are are really old and they're limited but um I found stories that I would like to share. Mm -hmm. And those are the stories of Sarah and Dorothy Good. Sarah Good was a mother of Dorothy and she was accused of witchcraft in March of 1692. She was a woman who lived in poverty and she relied heavily on the charity of her neighbours and everything like that. And it hadn't always been the case. Um, She'd been married... Previously, so she was on her second marriage, her first marriage, husband died, and then she lost um, the estate to family. It was very modest. Um, she wasn't, she didn't come from wealth or anything like that. It was a poor family, but this made the poverty worse. So she married again and was living in poverty. And this is a theme because many of these women who were accused of witchcraft were living in poverty were heavily reliant on their community and were often old women as well. Basically, she was accused of witchcraft by a couple of girls um, who came from upstanding families within the uh, community of Salem. And the interesting thing is that it was the accusations of these girls, it was a group of them, sort of varying between the ages of like, I don't know, nine or younger, all the way through to late teens, who made a series of accusations and triggered off all of the Salem witch trials. So the testimonies of these girls were really what started it all. And the vast majority of those who were accused of witchcraft 
were accused um, by these girls initially. So, and these girls were all daughters of, they were kids, they were kids, absolutely, and they were daughters of prominent members of the community. So, a couple of kids had accused this woman of, of witchcraft, um, and basically she had a bad reputation around Salem. Um, she was, she was again, this comes up again, she was considered ill-tempered. So these girls were feigning these fits. Oh, so then wow. Sarah's husband, William Good, claimed he was also suspicious that she was a witch because of her demeanour towards him. And she, once again, he described her as being bad-tempered and angry. Sorry, hang on, plot twist here. These rich kids from the village decide they're going to accuse her for whatever reason, like, or the, it sounds like she kind of was grumpy with in, and kind of a narky old bat in the town or whatever at times, right? Who isn't? So these group of girls who are kids basically say that we're having fits because of her and they're faking them. And yeah. then her husband pipes up and goes, actually, now that you mention oh, it. Oh, it's just suspected she's, this. Yeah. She she might actually be a witch because she's she's in a she's got bad temper with me. Yeah. Oh exactly. wow. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Sarah was during this, Sarah denied it. She denied <laughs> from start to finish collusions with the devil, any witchcraft whatsoever. And sadly, so she was she was basically she was taken in and she was in prison and she was heavily pregnant at the time. Right. She uh, gave birth while she was imprisoned and sadly her child died and then in July 1692 she was hanged and up to the very end she maintained her innocence. Court's trial, we had a situation where um, those who were accused were fitting, um, acting like they were possessed. And you imagine at the time as well, um, you'd get this frenzy, right? You were in this public trial. There were people arguing. There was a lot of action. There was a lot of noise. And basically, people would get riled up into a frenzy. She did this. She had possessed me. She- For as long as history allows us to document uh, women have been held accountable for other people's shit behaviour yeah fascinating exactly anyway thanks for that so then Dorothy Dorothy Good was the four year old daughter of Sarah right okay and uh, Dorothy Good was four when she was accused of witchcraft herself sorry they accused a four year old they accused a four year old of witchcraft and they put a four year old in prison they did, yeah. So this, and this happened right at the beginning of the Salem witch trials. So this was like 1692. It was right at the start um, as it's gained momentum. So two of uh, this group of girls, again, um, <clears throat> had accused her of witchcraft and had claimed that she was deranged, this four-year-old kid, and had repeatedly been biting them like animals. And they, they were showing bite marks. You know, bear in mind these are children themselves. They were showing bite marks on their arms. That can, I, can I just clarify one thing? Child. Is this the four-year-old who's now recently lost her mother? This was actually happening at the same time. So they were... So they while were her mother was in prison. Together. Yes. Okay, exactly. cool. 
We don't know the exact time. Yes, yeah, gotcha. it could have been that they were on trial at about the same time. We don't just wondering, but regardless, days. anyway. So, so essentially, the bottom line is she, there's a four year old being accused because she's bad tempered. Yeah, and apparently she might be biting kids. She now might, these, right? She might, yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So, <clears throat> this four year old child was then interrogated by magistrates. In while imprisoned during this interrogation, and I'm sure that they employed some of the tests that uh, oh, no, we don't tell me this is gonna end in a eventually she confessed to being a witch. This four year old child confessed to being a witch and um confessed to having seen her mother um consorting with the devil, right? Right, she then later claimed that her mother had given her a snake and the snake had drank the blood from her finger, right? This is a four-year-old kid. I have got a seven- and a nine-year-old kid. No, eight- and a nine-year-old kid. Um, the nine-year-old used to accuse me of beating her up. And the stories. <laughs> Should I just say that now? Like <laughs> She accused everyone of doing it. Um, but the stories that come out of them, and especially at that age. You know, oh, my God, your saying, little boy. Imagine, imagine if his story, uh, one of the sweetest, most sensitive, gorgeous, temperamented children I've ever met. But my God, does the stories that he tell go dark? Yeah, they do. They do. But so anyway, this under great duress, this four-year-old child um, confessed to these things when pressed. And so the snake story came out and then the officials assumed, oh, okay, that's the, that's, um, the familiar, so that confirms she's a witch. Great. She was eventually released on a bond. Right. It was about fifty pounds. So she wasn't executed. Okay. Dorothy Good wasn't killed. But oh, this for, by the time she was released on bond, she was five years old. She spent eight and a half months in prison. And during which time her mum was tried and executed for witchcraft. Imagine living with that then. Imagine living with that, being a four-year-old and making up a story that every every single four-year-old does because they have an imagination that hasn't been tainted or squashed. Imagine growing up and realising one day, oh God, I did that. Do you know, exactly. And the other thing that, that I was thinking about were these girls who've made all these accusations. Well, yeah. Also children. Um, yeah. And I was wondering, and I dug, and I dug, and I couldn't really find anything. And I was wondering whether they they ever sort of stepped back and had a lot of remorse for that and regretted those. They mu- must whether have they been, were so indoctrinated. A bit of both, I would imagine, but there must have been doubt. You know, there must have been, We, regardless of how warped you are, you've gotten warped as a child into believing that this is okay. And somewhere in you, somewhere in your gut, without a shadow of a doubt, there must have been moments where it was like, Oh my God, this woman's going to die because of our lies. They knew they were lying. Yeah, of course. Wow. So there we go. Jesus. That's a bit heavy, isn't it, Jen? Um, Yeah. It's getting really scared there. Now I have to say. A brief history of witchcraft. I know. I I see your face. I was getting really freaked in case Dorothy was going to die. Yeah. To, To kind of wind this all into today, right? In one way or another, we are we are all still accused of being witches. We just don't use the word witch anymore. 
we use the word crazy. It's the insanity factor that's used now. Um, it's not the hysterical. The connect exactly. You're right. It's not the. It's not the connection with the devil necessarily anymore. It's not the ruling because, because let's face it, that came from a baseline of organized religion. Surprise, surprise. You are bad. And that's been in existence for until our generation came along. To be honest with you, I think it's only starting to, and I mean starting to, um, end or change. I think when it comes to behave this way or you will be in trouble, behave this way or you will go to hell. Um, it was certainly in existence when I was a child. I don't hear it anymore, but thankfully. And it overwhelmingly affects women. It's yes. overwhelmingly used as a means to control well, no, no, not in our place in inverted commas. It's institutionalized. Not, not church stuff. When I was growing up, it was definitely a. See, I just think that that was the blanket statement of when you were in school, boys and girls. If you didn't do what you were told, you were going to hell. If you didn't do what you were told, you were a demon. You were Satan. You were whatever. And and in fairness, that came as across children, yeah, boys and girls. And what I was going to say was only as we've grown older. Although that's gone. We have grown up in a culture of magazines and tabloids and paparazzi and everything is set up against women. Everything is set up against the idea of like down to paparazzi taking beach photographs, taking taking photographs of women in bikinis to set them up to look a certain way. It's to set them up to to fail, essentially, from start to finish the crazy photographs of whether it's someone a woman shaving their head like what why is a woman shaving her head crazy what what why does that mean that she's lost her mind i don't because she cut her hair so this has gone on for as long as as long as we've existed and and yes it is predominantly directed at women and yes it is it just the language changes slightly we're not called witches anymore we're called crazy we're called aggressive we're called um argumentative we're Mm -hmm. called overbearing all of these things and it's like if you step out of line if you if you become educated if you know what you're talking about you're just a burden. You're in the way. Shut up, little girl. Um, and, it's, and also, it's if gotten... you start to get some, you know, if you have some power um, and some intelligence and success, then you're a threat. That's exactly it. If you if you get educated, if you then start to speak up about what you know, it's unless you're willing to stand in a corner and be quiet, little girl, we've got a problem. Um, and and that's been it's an awful lot better. I will say that much, but it's it's nowhere near what it, where it needs to be. Not in a sort of take on the world and accuse or anything like it, just in a curious way. Maybe we just start paying attention to the amount of women that get accused of being crazy or um, even article headlines of how many women are accused of being in a rage or in or, or furious or in a fit of fury, or any of these really, really exaggerated versions of just they're pissed off, they've got something to say, versus the way men are written about. I, I find it quite funny to look at, really, to be honest, because it's just, it's it's removing the veil from, do we really just lose our shit for nothing, or do we lose our shit for the same reason that any human would lose their shit? Yep. So that's our spooky Halloween episode. 
a um, little bit heavy. <laughs> Interesting, nonetheless, right? <gasps> Historical, yes. Happy next Halloween, time you lose your shift. Next time you lose your shift because your husband is uh, oh, because your husband's a prick. <laughs> now you know where the word prick came from, and. The next time that you lose your reason over something that you have every right to lose your reason over, just remember, you're a witch. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Ooh.